Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Yo, what's good, New York? You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI 99.5 FM. This is a socialist radio show and podcast for members of the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. NYC DSA is the biggest chapter of the largest socialist organization in the United States. We are run by our more than 5,500 members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. Today, we're, ta- we're discussing the NYC DSA's convention that occurred this past Saturday. Throughout the episode, we'll be speaking with uh, Ziad Hamad, our newly elected treasurer for the steering committee, about organizing for socialism both within the labor movement and outside of it. We'll also be hearing an interview with our two co-chairs, Bianca Cunningham and Chi Anunwa, about their experience at the convention, as well as their assessment of the state of NYC DSA and how it can continue to build working class power here in New York City. But first, the headlines. Hello, New York City. This is Kyle Sorrell with the headlines. In state news, the fight for housing justice is getting close to its crucial inflection point. The state Senate has yet to come out with a unified position on the package of nine bills known as universal rent control introduced this session and backed by a powerful movement of housing activists. There is worry that a lack of unity across the Senate and Assembly will open up room for Governor Cuomo to negotiate the final forms of the bill, which, if we know Cuomo, will likely have detrimental effects. Now is the time to get involved in this incredibly important fight. In other Cuomo news, the governor signed a bill repealing the gravity knife ban that criminalizes many standard work knives and has been used to disproportionately arrest people of color. The governor had previously blocked attempts to repeal it, but years of activism and pressure from progressive politicians finally forced his hand. In electoral news, a donor reporting deadline for the Queen's DA race has revealed that Tiffany Caban overwhelmingly leads the pack in small donations but that establishment favorite Melinda Katz is leading in dollar total with over a third of her funding coming from real estate developers. Katz and Rory Lansman have both received money from Rebney, New York's infamous real estate association, and Gregory Lasak has received donations from police unions. The movement behind Tiffany Caban is hitting high gear in the final weeks before the election on June 25th. DSA-backed Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has embraced the movement and joined Caban at the Queen's Pride Parade on Sunday. things happening this summer in New York City. Go to your local DSA chapter to find out more. Back to you, Jack. Our daily headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by NYC DSA Electoral Working Group covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethorn.nyc. 
So we're here today talking about uh, New York City Democratic Socialist Convention that happened this past, past weekend. It's an event where we like really put democracy into action. We discuss our priorities for the future as well as assessing our past. Where can we grow? How can we build power in a different way? But before we dive in specifically to the convention, I just want to introduce our guest here in studio and have him discuss you know, why he got involved in the struggle for socialism and why he joined DSA specifically. So, um, Ziad, can you just uh, share with us, like, what brought you into the movement? Ooh, that's a really tough question, but let me try to answer it quickly. Um, so, as you know, I got selected as treasurer of New York City DSA. I also work for a telecommunications company in construction, and I'm trying to get active in my union. So, most of my time is actually spent at work watching my coworkers' backs, Um in terms of my political leanings, I'm generally averse to joining groups, and I actually had a pretty bad experience working with some left circles, so it took me a while to get involved in any explicitly political group. Um, but DSA seemed to have a lot of relevance to the general public, so it was on my radar. I think in 2015, uh, I was attending Jacobin reading groups, and after a while, that energy was funneled into DSA, and I kept my eye on it. I was pretty busy with work and volunteering and political stuff. So uh, it took me a while to actually dive in and really get involved. But I was inspired by some housing justice work and also some immigrant, uh, basically just like racial justice work for immigrants uh, in the States. And I was like, okay, people are focusing on material issues here. This is something I care about. It's not about like, you know, leftist factions or talking about who is who has the best theory on, you know, what Marx's reading on today's society is. I really, yeah. What we should have done in 1917. Right. Or like what he should be, (laughs) he would be saying now. I'm just like, no, like let's, we know what we want. So DSA seemed to be the group where a lot of people were coalescing around this idea of like, what is working class power and like, what is power for the people? And I was like, oh, okay, that's up my alley. Let me see what they're doing. Yeah. There's like more theory you know, than when you're involved in some like liberal organization or some like very narrowly issue based group. It's, a you know, an understanding of bringing these things together. But it's not like many, you know, sectarian leftist groups that get stuck in the past and can never get beyond a single argument. It's really what DSA is doing is actually working on the ground and building building power for people. So that's, it sounds like, why it appealed to you, and that's exactly why it appealed to me as well. Yeah, and it's, you know, people people like to point out that it's Democratic Socialists of America. It's actually very true. It's a very democratic organization, sometimes to a fault. We spend a lot of time building up our democratic processes, but that should, you know, discourage anyone from saying, oh, this is another, you know, crazy, radical, ultra-left group that doesn't really focus on building democratic structures. We actually do spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, there's an open debate and discussion about what our priorities should be, how we should do the work, and also like how how we should build those democratic um, processes. And they can, it can be frustrating discussions at times, but I think it's much better that they exist than being in some sort of group where you either, you know, like pay homage to democracy and then don't actually do it, or you have to be prescribed to a very specific form of leftist ideology to participate. That's not what we're doing here. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I would say that the radical element is also not lost on the members. Like people still want 
housing justice for all. People still want Medicare for all. These are issues that the language came out of DSA, it seems, or was borrowed from another leftist orientation. These are really radical demands, and it's not, you know, it's not just some pseudo-liberal kind of group. It's not the Democratic Party. It's not the Communist Party. It's something different. Yeah, and I think there is still a, a belief, uh, and a lot of people, I mean, it's a Big Ten organization, and people fight for a radical horizon, and uh, many members really believe and want to fight for a classless society, a society without domination, but there is also an understanding that it's not about talking about that end point all the time. It's about how do we actually work um, to build like working class power um, in our society to really empower people and you know, that's how the transformation will happen. It's not theory is absent. It's not we don't have uh, a horizon or a, a goal of a much better world, but it's that we factor in both at the same time. And I thought that's what I really had that feeling at the convention that there was this, um, you know, there's long term vision, um, long term goals, but also focus on the concrete um, tactics and strategies of building power that it would take to achieve both our short-term um, like policy wants, like something like Medicare for all, or bigger goals of like a, a democratically run, worker-run economy. Um, so, what was your experience like at the uh, NYC DSA convention, and how did it feel to like really participate in the democratic process? Um. I mean, along the lines of what you're saying, some of this long-term strategy and short-term tactics really resonated in some of the resolutions, but also some of the proposals that didn't pass. I mean, there is a lot of room to talk about what approach we want to take in terms of building internal democracy, but also building toward like larger projects. Um, so, for example, we talk a lot about political endorsements. What does that look like? How do we keep politicians accountable if we are to endorse them? But also, how do we keep them accountable when we don't endorse them, when they're already in power and we want to push them further left or further in the direction of justice? Um, so that definitely comes out in the convention and definitely came out in this one because we talked about uh, electing a socialist city council, which is very compelling to me. Um, it was very compelling to the rest of the members as well. But the question of how we do that and how we continue to keep people accountable was always on the table. So I really appreciate the work that people do in thinking about this stuff, um, but also soliciting advice from fellow you know, electoral folks, but also people in the rest of the organization. I think it's, it's a very collaborative process. And you saw that even when, even when things get a little tough, like people have disagreements, we can all come together at the end and just say, okay, like what, how do you want to work this out? Okay, let me do this work. You do that work. Great. No one's forced into a position of taking a party line or having to canvas when they don't want to canvas. It's a, it's really, you plug in where you want to. And obviously, you know, we're making a commitment to certain, certain policies and certain kind of ethical beliefs in terms of providing a social good to members, but also to the general public. Um, and we do ground a lot of our conversations in like, okay, how does this build something? How does this build something outside of DSA? And also, how does this build something for the working class? I mean, we're not really just talking about DSA members here. We're talking about making a global stand against imperialism, colonialism, and capitalism, clearly. I mean, we throw that word around a lot. <laughs> 
but I think it is always important to reiterate it that it's what we're doing there at the convention, you know, what we were discussing, what we were deciding on wasn't just about like our internal politics. It was really geared towards how do we not just build this organization, but I think more critically and more importantly, how do we build working class power here in New York in a way that can help build working class power all around the world. And so as we've been discussing, uh, this past Saturday was the NYC DSA convention. And I was there to record the official proceedings, as well as hear directly from delegates on their experience in in participating in the organization's democratic process. So let's uh, roll that clip. Over the last year, we've flexed this political muscle in some very significant ways. Every branch of New York State government is now blue. Every borough in New York City is now red. So we've grown in membership and we've grown in coalition partners and we've put New York City DSA on the map as a force to be reckoned with. The last year we've accomplished a tremendous amount. We've helped drive Amazon out of New York City. We've helped elect some little-known socialists to Congress and to the New York State Senate. We've made real estate money taboo in New York City. And we've driven ICE out of courts. And we have been and we will continue to organize thousands of people for universal rent control. We are perceived in this political moment as an existential threat to existing power. The sustainability of this model is contingent on our members' authentic engagement in arenas of struggle. The struggle should always be tethered to those of working class people and to people of color. As we look forward, we have a number of tasks in front of us. First and foremost are our existing campaigns. The fight for universal rent control is not yet over. The fight for the New York Health Act is not yet over. The labor unions still continue to be dominated by a political class that is disconnected from their workers. And Tiffany Caban is running for district attorney in Queens on a com- (laughs) Tiffany Caban is running for district attorney in Queens on a platform that combines decarceration and racial justice. We have worked on a policy platform that you'll all see today that many of you have already seen and worked on that demonstrates that despite the many different political ideologies that are present in our organization, there is much more that unites us than divides us. It's been good. I think that there's been a lot of consensus and I think that's because of a lot of conversations that happened before the convention. It seems like really good conversations were had ahead of time. Um, People collaborated, uh, disagreed, and then started to come around on things. Um, And that's really reflected in how smoothly it's gone. Uh, Of course, there's always disagreement. It's been interesting to hear different sides of things. There's been a lot of discussion about whether these emerging group of caucuses are a good thing or a bad thing, the organization. I think we're proving at this convention that they're good that clarifying political perspective uh, within the organization, allowing people to engage with each other, 
with clearly defined uh, political platforms, political principles, makes for much more nuanced discussion, much more mature discussion that amounts to things being passed with the aim of moving them forward as opposed to whether or not we're even dispersed on the question in the first place. And so what we're spending a lot more time talking about is how do we accomplish the things that we found alignment on leading into the convention. Um, I'm really happy to see some diverse faces in the room um, and this is, gives them an opportunity to be heard. Um, I'm really enjoying voting and I think that I definitely want to do this again next year. I like to be in the room when, where decisions are being made. So you guys are here, I'm here, we're here because we want to change our world, we want to change our society. And we know that the way to do that is through organized struggle against capitalists. But beyond that, we know that our socialist future is a democratic one. Given that we are the largest local of a growing socialist movement in the most powerful imperialist country in the world, given that we live in a city with three million immigrants, over a half a million undocumented folks, and we have a progressive mayor who only weeks ago was advocating to expand cooperation with ICE, it should be imperative to this body not only to consider what has been proposed by members of this chapter in the immigration policy platform, but also the vision that they have proposed for the abolition of borders. The language of open borders is already out there. The right attacks us with it, the center attacks us with it, and even the reactionary left attacks us with it. It's time we claim it for ourselves, define it as a declaration of free movement of people and solidarity of the international working class, not the uninhibited flow of capital, and boldly take up the banner of open borders. Instead of merely putting out fires in the fight for immigrant justice, it is our duty to put forward a bold, positive vision, otherwise the movement will burn out. Let's take a stand today to declare our support for open borders. I'm like really happy about uh, the chapter passing um, a resolution on our borders um, because it's super important that, uh, that our border policy reflects our anti-colonial stance as socialists. And, you know, the fact that the New York City chapter is demonstrating a commitment to anti-colonialism says a lot about how we're going to be relating to people of color. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I am really happy that we brought open borders to the floor of the convention. I saw that as advancing democracy in a really packed agenda. Um, but it was clear that people wanted to talk about open borders. They wanted to pass our position on open borders and we wanted to prove that we were committed to that as an organization. I'm really thrilled at the level of um, consensus and cohesion this year at the convention. I think it's been um, an example of how much this organization, even though it's a big ten, we share a lot of core principles, um, and I'm really pleased with how it's going so far. Continue to establish the roots in the communities in which we organize, increase communication between working groups, and demystify the city council and all of its powers for everyone that we organize with. It builds on our current electoral work and the skills that we've developed. Uh, and we're talking about a slate here, so just imagine in all five boroughs, uh, from <laughs> Crown Heights to Inwood to Sunnyside, um, imagine running a campaign, building new community trusts and turning land over to the people for actual good and affordable housing, 
not for the development or investment of jails or condos, a campaign on uh, demilitarizing NYPD and removing cops from our schools. Well, my name is Jasmine Sanchez, and I'm also a candidate for the 74th Assembly District for a female district leader. Um, I think that one of the proposals that I'm really excited about was the election of a socialist city council for 2021. I always feel that uh, election days are more like auction days here, and um, they pretty much sell out our communities to the highest bidder. So seeing folks that are running on a platform that's truly important to working class families is important to me. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. Hopefully it's something that'll transpire and we have amazing an amazing slate in 2021. Following last year's convention, Labor Branch took a long and democratic process to select six strategic industries to focus and maximize the efforts of DSA socialists who understand the rank and file strategy to be a key component in the fight for socialism. While we believe every worker deserves a union, every worker has power, unfortunately, not all workers have a union, and unfortunately, not all workers have the same amount of power yet. And many, finally, many will consider the coming year and our battles to be a referendum on the socialist movement writ large. We, however, must remember that regardless of the outcomes, they are, that we are merely standard bearers for a liberatory movement that precedes us. We're standard bearers for the folks that will come after us. And with every success and every failure, we must take stock and examine our work. Our movement will not live or die because of any one person or any one campaign. We are all part of a collective effort to dismantle the capitalist state. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI broadcasting in New York City at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or sign up for our newsletter to get links to what we talk about on the show. You can do that on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at NYC RPM. Today, we're talking about NYC DSA's convention. Uh, you just heard directly from the convention um, where there was debate, deliberation, a number of policy proposals passed, some resolutions like strike solidarity and our stance against the punitive SESTA-FOSTA, which uh, signaled our commitment to organize with coalition partners like Decrim NY for the decriminalization of sex works. So, And then there were other resolutions like you heard, like open borders and social city council, that there was, you know, some debate, but they passed after this discussion between delegates. Um, another one of those resolutions uh, that passed after a debate was the rank and file st uh, strategy. Ziad, as a member of the labor branch, uh, you helped put this resolution together. Um, why do you think um, the commitment to this rank and file strategy is so important for uh, DSA as an organization? Um. I would say historically, 
socialists, anarchists, communists, whatever leftists you want to <laughs> call them, um, <laughs> have focused on the workplace as a site for uh, activating people from the working class and having them make demands of capitalists, basically. Uh, so the labor branch, which exists within New York City DSA, uh, there are also labor working groups across the country, have been focusing on what we call the rank and file strategy. And I guess to sum it up, it's about building leadership within the ranks of workers. So if you have a union, whether or not you have a union, really, um, the rank and file strategy is about building the capacity to organize, not relying on figureheads to determine what is best for that workplace or that union or the district of that union or the international of that union. It's really about getting people democratically involved in their union to build progressive politics at the state level, at the local level, federal, et cetera. You get the point. It's really ground up power. So the labor branch, uh, is making an effort to educate people about why we think labor is so important. I mean, I said historically, people have said it really matters. Of course, it matters now as well. Uh, people talk about how we've progressed so far. Everyone has a smartphone. We're doing so great. But at the same time, like inequality is the highest it's ever been, um, maybe since the 20s. Um, even though everyone has a smartphone, you know, we have awful pollution across the world in creating you know, the technology that we have today. No one owns a house. Everyone's renting. The rents are going up. We talked a little bit about, you know, the nine bills to stabilize rents in New York state. Um, but these conversations don't really happen without some analysis of power and some analysis of what institutions will actually make this happen. So I get this kind of cynicism from a lot of the people that I talk to about, okay, if I talk to a politician, what are they going to do for me? They're just going to say whatever they want so they get reelected. I'm like, yeah, of course. But <laughs> if you have a union that's telling them what to do and you say, hey, we're going to withhold all of these voters from you and we're going to tell all these voters that they are angry at you and you will not get reelected should you not pass universal rent control, those politicians will be a little more receptive than, you know, hearing from some canvasser that like, oh, I just got all these signatures. So I think that's the value of the rank and file strategy. It's a, it's not just building shop floor power, which is clearly important in building your union. That's how you build uh, a strong union. I would say was meeting the needs, the material needs of workers in their workplaces. But that translates to people being, seeing the value in working together and seeing the value of changing their society and using an institution to do that. And we think that labor or unions or worker centers whatever institution you can use that is how we make change um and of course this is not limited to housing it's healthcare, women's issues you know gender justice um any fight that we want to undertake as socialists as leftists whatever you want to call it um the labor branch really believes that labor is instrumental in doing this and we've seen this historically in the United States and elsewhere. Uh, you can point to those examples today with the teacher strikes, with strikes in other countries. People want a four-day four work week in Germany, I believe. Um, not Germany-wide, but within one union. But if you want that, you can get it. You just have to band together with your coworkers. So you have to be friendly with your coworkers to get that stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's critical that you framed it in the sense that like unions are these, um, well, ideally these independent working class institutions that um, because they're based and rooted in working people and that's how they're empowered, that's a source of, you know, um, what they are as institutions. Uh, and ideally they're antagonistic against capital, against the ruling class, against uh, ownership within a company specifically or broadly capital as a class. Um, but because, as you were explaining, we live in such unequal times when people have you know, less free time, the cost of living is rising, whether that's rent, education, health care, where workers are in this um, weaker position. So you have sometimes this uh, some aspects of union leadership will kind of bend and sway towards capital. They will make deals that kind of compromise the power of the working class, but with a rank-and-file strategy, with rooting the power in the union, in the workers themselves, and democratizing the union, um, that really you know gravitates the center of power back towards where it's supposed to be, um, back towards the workers. And I think uh, you just brought up um, the recent example of this new strike wave of teacher strikes, and it's obviously happening in other sectors as well, but teachers are the, the main center of this wave. And they did this by organizing both within the workplace and outside of it, talking to parents. Like in Los Angeles, the police in the school were such a huge concern. So that was a really huge center of their campaign, or fighting against privatization in terms of charter schools. So what we've seen in these struggles and these collective struggles is, you know, the power that a union has and the power of rank and file strategy in particular to not just organize um, the organized, but ideally uh, or materially uh, organize the unorganized. And that's like a real critical question for us because even New York is like the most unionized state in the country, I believe, and it's still only 25 percent. We sh- we should be fighting for that to expand rapidly yeah i agree with that um i mean the only way you have power in your workplace is not by getting a favor from your boss but actually demanding things from your boss as a group um and that's why unions are so valuable i would say part of the rank and file strategy is making unions appealing to people who have never heard of them or who are part of like a union that doesn't talk to them uh where their rep is not around or their rep doesn't really care about them rep meaning representative um, and I also want to be clear, like when I talk about workers or the working class or whatever, I'm just talking about working people, people who need to work to make a living, people who are not living off of inheritance, people who are not living off of the labor of other people. And, you know, he'd like to talk about CEOs being that way. And I would like to say, yes, generally that is the case, but it's not always the case. We're talking about the working class is people who just have to continue working to pay their bills, have a livelihood, want to put food on the table, want to own a house. Really, you can boil it down to the American dream if you want to, if that's easier to understand. Uh, But that is how I'm talking about the working class. It's just anyone who needs a job to make ends meet. So getting those people together is not uh, always that easy because people have different interests. But I think the workplace is the best way to talk to people because... If you, let's say, make a union appealing to someone who doesn't have a union, they'll question their conditions in their workplace and they'll think about creating a union or joining a union in their workplace. Um, And I think the domino effect is what we're looking for here in the rank and file strategy. And that's 
you know, I didn't know about unions until I met people who were in them, family or friends. And that's how we want to build something. We want to build something among family and among friends. It's not really this vanguardist position of, oh, we're going to, we know what's right for the American people. No, it's really, we want people to have what they need to live. Yeah, it's about empowering people in their daily lives so that they actually have real control. Like, there's, we live in, under this illusion in the society that we're free, but almost everyone has to sell themselves five or more days of the week to someone else in order to have the, a place to live, in order to have money so they have a place to live, food to eat. And they are constantly at risk and on edge of, you know, falling into the abyss. So it's a really tough position. And that's why it's necessary to collectively struggle as workers to fight for a better world. And unions and just working class institutions as a whole are really the critical front are one of, if not the critical front for building this sort of power to challenge the people that you have to sell yourself to um, every day. So you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or sign up for our newsletter to get links to what we talk about on the show. You can do that at our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at NYCRPM. Today, we're talking about the New York City Democratic Socialists uh, convention that occurred this past Saturday. And yesterday, I spoke with our two elected co-chairs of the steering committee, Bianca Cunningham and Chi Anunwa, about their thoughts on the convention and the future of democratic socialism in New York City. Let's roll the clip. Hey, Chi, thank you so much for coming on Revolutions Per Minute. Uh, we're very excited to have you as one of our new co-chairs. Um, so just to start off, um, why is uh, the convention uh, such an important part of NYC DSA in your mind? Yeah, so um, I think it's important because on the one hand, it's one of the handful of times a year that we set aside as a chapter to make important collective decisions and deliberations about how the chapter will function and what political direction the chapter will take. But then, um, I guess in a more informal sense, it's also one of the few opportunities for people to engage in these deliberations in person with people from all the branches, all the working groups, all the different caucuses, all the different ideological affiliations, which is important. Um, you know, we do, as you, I imagine, well now, we do a lot of arguing online, so it can be good to hash out these ideas and our disagreements in person. All right, so, uh, hey, Bianca, thank you for joining us here on RPM. First of all, thanks for having me, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here again. Um, so the convention is such an important part of New York City DSA because it's the highest decision-making making body um, that we actually have in our chapter, meaning we're able to contemplate uh, and deliberate uh, around different issues like strategy, um, different tactics that have been chosen throughout the course of the year. It's an opportunity for people to 
take accountability and answer for the work that they've been doing and uh, talk about the direction that they'd like to go um, in the coming year. And it's a way, and it's almost um, the only time where members from all five boroughs are together in one space to really hear about what's going on, to really, you know, struggle through these questions together. Um, and you really get a sense of <clears throat> the politics of the organization, the Big Ten organization. You get a sense of um, geographically um, how people, where people stand on certain issues based on what their experiences are in their own communities. Um, you get a sense of the different tendencies and caucuses that exist uh, within the room and where the disagreements are and, you know, where the agree and where we all agree. Um, and it's just really powerful, uh, you know, and the energy in the room is electric uh, to be a, um, a part of that uh, conversation and to get to debate um, for your own ideas or for the ideas of, you know, a group of people. Yeah, I definitely felt the energy of the collective on Saturday. There were a lot of good vibes, some good disagreements, but I think we came to a, a quality consensus. So as you start your second term as co-chair of NYC DSA's steering committee, how would you assess NYC's development over the past year? Yeah, so I think it's been huge. I think one of the things that's happened is, you know, we're, uh, you know, relatively uh, new formation of an old organization. Um, and so most of us have only, you know, at the most uh, been around for the last three years. And so I think um, it doesn't mean that necessarily, I, I think that overwhelmingly uh, the folks that are in DSA are probably somewhat new to organizing, socialist organizing um, and in the way in the style that DSA does. Um, and so what you've really seen is a, a maturity um, and a sober assessment of, you know, how our ideology translates to the actual work um, over time. And, and, and so what I've seen is people just, the questions become more nuanced how it went and, and why and where we think the issues lie. And so I think that, you know, this year was really a question about, um, you know, what are the functions of these branches, right? We have this structure that we put in place and it was great um, just to get people in the door at first. Then it was great to, you know, break it up and be like more neighborhood focused. And then this year we're saying, okay, so now that we've done those things and we still don't have the level of engagement that we'd like to see, what are some ways that we can tackle this issue um, and approach this? And so just way more nuanced uh, analysis, like I said, um, it's, it's really great to see everybody, you know, growing and, you know, their experience, you know, is growing and, you know, really solid. I, I would say everybody's really solid, has their feet really solidly in um, the work now um, in, a way, in a way that I feel like two years ago was more about um, just speaking truth to power. And so I'm really excited to see uh, where we go in the next year. Thank you for that really great assessment, uh, Bianca. So, Chi, you're uh, new to the steering committee. As you start your um, first term as co-chair, um, what motivated you to run in the first place? Wanted to run for co-chair is, so I'm currently also chair of our healthcare working group. And, you know, DSA has done a really amazing job with our electoral campaigns. We have this well-oiled grassroots electoral machine and but you know electoral cannot be our only locus of organizing 
And so I really want to see us build out, further build out our issue-based campaigns and make them as strong and effective as they can be. So this includes our, you know, healthcare campaigns, housing campaigns, immigration justice campaigns, climate justice campaigns as well. But overall, I think New York City DSA as a chapter is in a really good state. Um, we've accomplished a lot in the past year. We are slowly but surely becoming a force to be reckoned with in city and state politics. And I'm really excited to see what we do going forward. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of work, great work that's been done, but there's even more uh, great work that needs to be done in the future. Uh, I definitely agree with that assessment. So like, are there any ongoing campaigns or projects or just you know work in the organization in general that you feel that it's really critical for people to get involved with right now? I think it'd be really important for us as a chapter and as well as a national organization to get more involved with climate justice and the Green New Deal, I really do think, I mean, it is literally an existential crisis. Um, so I think that will be, or that should be an important priority for DSA. And then also the Bernie campaign as well. I think the Bernie campaign has the potential to activate a lot of people who are not necessarily super politically active right now, but are frustrated with the status quo. Yeah, I mean, so there's so much good work happening in the organization, and almost everything, as you know, feels critical and has a sense of urgency, especially with the right wing being so aggressive in their power, you know, in their in pushing their own agenda. It seems like every single day uh, there's something that's you know urgent um, coming up that we need to fight back against. Nonetheless, I think in New York City specifically, we really uh, need to figure out a way that we can. Um, really put our bodies on the line and figure out a way to work with those who are being affected by these abortion um, bans, essentially. And, and I know that's not happening in New York State, but it is really critical that we find a way to be there in the way that we're needed, in the way that it's necessary, in the way that folks ask us to be, um, and not just be silent and complacent because we're or silent and complacent because we're here in a progressive, uh, so-called progressive city. I also believe that um, you know the rent laws, like I was talking to somebody this morning and they're saying it looks very bleak. It's really um, disappointing to me that, you know, we spent all this time to try to drive out the independent um, Democratic caucus, IDC, only for these politicians to still be, you know, not necessarily, I mean, only for Albany to still respond in the way that it has to, you know, our rent control, our universal rent control campaign. Um, it looks like we're going to have to, you know, really strike some fear into them, into them about, even more so than we already have, about primarying the fact that they will be primaried and that we will hold them accountable and remember that they are not on the side of the people right now because they're still playing politics as usual. In Albany, it's really unfortunate, but I mean, we are in the final stages of this fight and we really do need to finish it out strong. And I think in along those same lines of instilling fear um, into the Democratic Party machine in New York is really uh, 
all hands on deck for Tiffany Caban at this point in Queens because I think that is going to be the race that will uh, determine that people will take stock of to say like how powerful are we okay you you know unseated uh, you know Joe Crowley great Um, you got Julia Salazar in office great you defeated the IDC can you defeat the Queens machine and so um, I really believe that people should be all out um, for that as well and in addition to that I mean I think that we should continue to you know the ice out of courts campaign and trying to figure out ways that we can um, truly become a sanctuary city and hold um, the folks who call us that uh, accountable to those principles I think that we need to um, continue to fight against the school to prison pipeline around the school suspensions issue I think that all these all this work is really essential um, but more so than ever we really need to be taking our message out and trying to get like a class-based analysis out there because you know we're in real danger and I think that even more so sometimes I feel than Republicans um, especially in New York City it's really apparent that we're fighting against this really entrenched Democratic Party machine who has no interest in taking any of these issues up on a real basis and are willing to really come for us and attack us on many levels in order to um, defend the status quo and so I think that we've got a, a huge fight ahead of us and so that's why I think political education is going to be really important that we develop that um, I think that training people how to be organizers and you know how to get this message out there is going to be more important and I think that more than ever we really need to get our hands dirty with the base building part of it absolutely um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with um, DSA members really getting more integrated in their community and building the sort of institutions working-class institutions that can last in the long fight that we have ahead I think you both really painted a uh, a beautiful picture of you know all the work that we've done, the work that needs to be done, and the forces that are allied against us. So with all that in mind, um, what is each of your visions for um, building socialism here in New York? So our electoral victories so far have given us a really good template for how to succeed in that arena. Um, and I want us to continue building on that. I know that Electoral has a lot of plans, not just with Bernie, but also, you know, with some of the assembly seats and city council seats opening up in the next couple of years. But then in addition to that, you know, I really want to see, well, one, I want to see, you know, the continued development of a more militant labor movement in New York City. And I mean, there's a lot of great work already happening with that within the labor branch and the rank and file strategy. Um, I think that, you know, people always ask you about what your vision is. And as, you know, somebody, you know, oftentimes what I say is that, you know, I have a vision for democracy. So I don't, I mean, that's my vision. Um, I want people to be able to feel empowered to make the decisions about their communities and their jobs uh, and, and their lives in general and really uh, tap into that power as a collective. Uh, Thank you, Bianca and Chi, for uh, joining us for those really great interviews. You are listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or sign up for our newsletter to get links to what we talk about on the show. 
You can do that on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at NYCRPM. Today, we're talking about the NYC DSA convention. And before we continue, I just want to take a little time out to thank all of the great volunteers um, and organizers who put together the convention. It was a really in, uh, like a well-oiled machine. Although, I mean, I don't. I guess I don't want to use that analogy because oil is now a bad thing. But uh, it was very. It was very well organized, and I got some interviews with volunteers that I wasn't able to fit into the uh, report before. But I just really want to thank them for all their hard work. Um, so we have about uh, like five minutes left in the show. And so at this time, we'd love for you to call in and talk to us. Like, please call us at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And um, like, what's a big issue in your community or your workplace that needs organizing to address? And what sort of work would you want to get involved in with NYC DSA? Um, but before, uh, I mean, well, we'll take your calls if they're coming in. But uh, something I just wanted to discuss um, is uh, I, I'm very happy uh, that both the Open Borders and the Social City Council resolutions passed because I think they um, really speak to the nature of uh, NYC DSA's vision, which is the necessity and the critical function of local work and building power in our own communities. And that's, I felt like the Social City Council proposal was really addressing that. It was connecting electoral work with direct um, local work organizing that's going on the ground, whether we, you know, build a campaign of, for city council around organizing community land trust or getting the police out of certain schools or, you know, for funding more public housing. There are all these uh, local issues that connect to the broader issues. While something like Open Borders, we're really making our stance that we are an internationalist socialist organization. We are committed to the global working class, to the free movement of labor, and that we're taking a stand against empire and the, the forces of reaction that are you know, out brutally. Every day it seems like there's more news that a children are dying in concentration camps at the borders. This is a real horror. And the fact that we um, took a stance against this, a stance against imperialism, which isn't always some, you know, socialist organizations in the past have betrayed internationalism for um, easy gains on the national stage. And we made a real commitment to that. We know that our fight against capital is global and that we stand for the working class everywhere. Um so is there anything uh, that we haven't addressed so far that uh, you are really excited about coming out of the convention or any you know project or work that you're really excited about for the next upcoming year? Um, that's a tough question. <laughs> Sorry to really throw uh, that on you. <laughs> well, I, I don't really know what the treasurer role looks like, but I have some sense around the needs of uh, the organization, at least from New York City's perspective. Um, there's a national convention that people are going to attend in August in Atlanta, um, which I encourage people to try to go to if they can. Uh, I don't even remember how many people, thousands of people, I think, are going to be attending, which yeah, is that's kind right. of terrifying. <laughs> um, I'm going to see Down if I can Atlanta. go. Yeah, it's going to be really hot. There's going to be a lot of people, <laughs> but people should try to go. I might go if I can get off of work. That's always the question. Um, but that that could be exciting. Um Really, I just want to continue to build people's capacity to be leaders, not just in my workplace, but also in DSA. 
outside of DSA, wherever. Like, we, we do trainings with the labor branch that are open to anyone. Um, that's workplace organizing, but also just general organizing ideas and you know, like how to build a campaign, how to fight to build a team of people that can fight with you. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't mention, but like I studied education for a little bit. Not, you know, I'm not a teacher or anything or a policy specialist, but something that I learned um, in working with refugee children and also in working in New York City schools um, is that there really we should place value in people's capacity to like work on something that fulfills them. And I think that each individual in DSA, in my union, in my community, across the globe, has a lot of value that is not being is being squandered really under under capitalism or whatever you want to call it this this society this economic system this international political problem um yeah people have creative potential that is not able to be unleashed because they're not truly free right and i think that's a really critical point that you made i just want to remind our listeners that our phone lines are open uh, please call in at 212-209-2877 uh, we're we're wrapping up, uh, but if if you want to get in a, a, the last comment of the day, just call in. Um, so just uh, to reiterate, uh, can you just briefly um, explain how people can connect to the labor branch if they want to get involved with this sort of organizing? Yeah, and if you have any questions about DSA or unions generally, uh, you can email us as well. Just email labor at socialists.nyc. It's socialist plural. Um, you can check out the website, the New York City DSA website at socialist.nyc, and that'll give you details about all the working groups, all the organizational ways that you can plug in. Um, but we we have a fundraiser, actually, that we're promoting this Friday. It's for Teamsters for a Democratic Union at 7 o'clock at Verso Books, which is in Dumbo. Um, that's along the lines of the rank-and-file strategy, supporting Teamsters who are un- union members, uh, working in New York City. Uh, That sounds like a really great event, and I would really encourage um, anyone uh, who wants to be out there organizing their workplace to get in contact with the labor branch, and they will provide you the resources and the solidarity necessary to build power in your workplace. Um, And if you want to get involved with NYC DSA, you can either, uh, you know, Google us, but uh, you'll find us on Twitter, on all social medias, or you can just go to socialist.nyc. Our calendar's up there, our ways to sign up to become a member. Um, So uh, we're about to wrap up. You've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute. Thank you for joining us, um, and have a nice week. We'll see you next week on, on Tuesday.